0: right, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through to 3. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through to 3. If you would stand with me as we read together. It came about soon afterwards that he began going about from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod, steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their own private means. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we know this morning you have something to teach us, and we want to be the kind of people who can remove all the junk that might be clouding our minds these days, or in these minutes, rather, from the kinds of things that you want to teach us from your word. So by your spirit, would you help us just to focus in and to dial into what you want to say this morning, to remove all that stuff off to the side to be able to hear directly from you. This is your divine-inspired word that was intended to be communicated to all people and especially to those who are your followers and we as your sons and daughters now want to submit to it and come humbly before it and learn from it and so lord would you change our thinking and change our lives now as we read it and understand it and interpret it in jesus name amen amen you may be seated So uh, we finished the book of Luke, uh, book of Luke, we finished the book of James and we're going to be going through a series of biographical uh, sermons. So I'm quite excited about this. I, uh, I don't know if I've ever done this uh, ever in, in my preaching history, but I'm going to be walking you through different characters from the Bible. Uh, they never had the opportunity to give their own autobiography, so we're going to talk about what their lives were like. So I'm going to pick a certain... Uh, um, characters from the Bible, and I'm going to walk you through uh, what these people were like. So what I'm essentially doing is I'm grabbing all of the scriptures about this individual, compiling them together uh, so that we understand their characteristics and we understand a timeline of their life. And um, it's going to be a little bit different in terms of scripture references. I will give you some as I'm going. Um, But if you want to know most of this information, the main scriptures will be at the end. You can jot them down and you can study them for your own rather than me referring to each individual scripture as I'm going. I'd rather make it a little bit more free-flowing, and so I'm going to do that without mentioning to you all the scriptures, but they will be there uh, at the end. Um, So this morning, we're going to look at one of the favorite characters of mine in the New Testament. Her name is uh, Mary Magdalene, and... uh, We're not going to do a kid's story this morning because essentially the story of Mary is going to be our story as we walk through together. Her name is Mary, and she was one of the most uh, important women in the New Testament. In fact, she is mentioned in the New Testament more than most of the apostles and more than any other woman in the Gospels apart from Jesus' family. She was a very prominent figure in the New Testament. And Mary was a common name back then, and so to distinguish Mary from other Marys, she was called Magdalene, as we noticed here in Luke chapter 8. This is not because that's her last name, but rather this is the place where she was from. She was from a place called Magdala. Now, I had the opportunity to go to Magdala when I was, uh, uh, I I seem like I do that almost every week. Yeah, I had the chance to go there. Okay, there's a tour next week, and we're all going, yeah, get on with it, I know, I know, you've been there, I haven't, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but when, when we were in Magdala, the, in just recent years, they have uh, um, uh, uncovered the synagogue that was in Magdala. This is one of the the most um, uh, significant uh, synagogues that they have found uh, in antiquity, and it's uh, it's quite phenomenal. You can see the, the 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 outer quarters. You're going in. This is probably where the 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 um, the Hebrew scriptures would have been, the manuscript that they could have studied together, and then you would go in to the larger synagogue. Also, in archaeological digs, they have uh, discovered a, a larger marketplace. And so uh, this place, this uh, place called Magdala, was located right by the Sea of Galilee, and it was a fishing city, a fishing city. And so there, um, the, the trade that would go on uh, in the marketplace, of course, would have included fish because... Uh, This was the main industry in that city. Um, We don't know much about Mary's upbringing in Magdala because the Bible introduces her as a woman already. So we don't know what it was like for her to grow up. Uh, But by all accounts, she was a very wealthy woman. We don't know how she became wealthy, but it would appear that she ended up with some kind of passive income, because as you'll discover, Mary was free to travel about and leave the city, and yet still have not only enough cash for herself, but have enough cash for others as well, and we'll get into that in a minute. Now, of course, as I mentioned earlier, there was a synagogue in Magdala, but Mary uh, initially wanted really nothing to do with God. She had a taste for the spirit world, but not under God's dominion. Mary fooled around with the spirits, which was not uncommon in the region because there was many different people who became demon-possessed, and Mary was also one of them. But Mary wasn't just possessed by one demon, she was possessed by seven. This was a part of Mary's life. Now, we don't know exactly what happened in her daily routine with these demons and what they made her do. But from the new testament we find all kinds of things that these demons would do with the people they were inhabiting they would make sometimes their person mute other times they would make them scream or wail sometimes they would give them superhuman strength other times they would force them to live out in the tombs uh, in isolation sometimes they would throw them into fire and water and try to destroy them I don't know exactly what it would have looked like for Mary, but definitely some of these things would have occurred as somebody who was possessed. You can imagine, therefore, the kind of effect this would have had on Mary's social life, not to mention her dating life. Uh, from all accounts, uh, I would say that she would not have been the most eligible bachelorette in the city of Magdala for sure. And so, as as far as we can tell, Mary was never married, and uh, she never had any children. Instead, Mary, as a demonic-possessed woman, she would have lived a life in somewhat isolation, and her daily routine would have been, in some senses, being overtaken by these demons that possessed her. But, of course, that all changed when Jesus showed up. Uh, Jesus was doing his ministry all throughout the regions of Galilee during this time, and so we imagine that, we don't know, but we imagine that he would have made his way then to Magdala. And from all accounts, this is probably where he met Mary Magdalene. The demons, of course, they were scared of Jesus. And every time the demons were exercised, it was some kind of a dramatic event. And we don't know exactly uh, all the events that occurred when the demons were exercised out of Mary. But Jesus was the one who did it. And as they left, Mary was now free. She was free from these demons who had occupied her. Her life was instantly changed in that moment, of course, but not just because the demons left, but because she gave her life over to Jesus Christ. You see, other people who had come to Jesus, they wanted Him to just heal them of their disease or exercise them, and and then off they'd go. But that was not Mary. When Mary's life was changed, she became a follower of Jesus. And I'm not just talking about a follower and being a disciple. She was a literal follower. We read that in Luke chapter 8. It tells us that Mary followed around Jesus as he went from village to village, as he went from city to city. But instead of thinking about Mary as being some kind of a fringe follower out there in the crowd, she wasn't hanging out in the outskirts. No, Mary became a disciple. Maybe not like the twelve, but she was very close. Before long, Mary knew all of the disciples personally, but her main friend, of course, was Jesus, who she knew as the Messiah and her Savior. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 15 that she was a personal minister to Jesus, a personal minister to Jesus. And minister is translated as being a servant. And we don't know exactly what this would have meant for Mary on a daily basis Maybe she went to the market and picked up some food. Maybe she helped prepare the meals. Maybe she prepared the different sleeping quarters as Jesus would go from place to place and she would arrange that. Or many other kinds of things that servants would do. We don't know for certain, but Mary was called a servant, a minister to Jesus. But Mary was a servant by choice. She was not a servant by demand, nor was she a servant because she needed employment. As stated early, Mary was wealthy. As we read there in Luke chapter 8, she was one of the main supporters of Jesus' ministry, providing financial needs, of uh, not only of Jesus, but the entire missionary group. This would require a significant amount of money. And as she traveled around uh, with Jesus, she met those, obviously, who were close to Jesus, especially Jesus' mom, Mary. And somewhere along the way, the two of them became friends, along with some other women. And this small group of women would later be seen at Jesus' crucifixion in John chapter 19. And so you could say that Mary was not just a follower of Jesus, she was a part of the inner group. And Mary was not only a servant, she was extremely loyal. Mary, in fact, was more loyal than the twelve disciples were. You remember Mark chapter 14 and verse 15, it says that after Jesus was arrested, all the disciples left Jesus and fled, but not Mary. She did not leave him. At the crucifixion, Mary was there every step of the way. In horror, she watched the entire thing as she stood with Jesus' mother, Mary. Through all of his agony, Mary stood there in helplessness, but in full loyalty and in full commitment to him. She would have watched as the nails were put through his hands and his feet. And then as he hung there for hours, but again, Mary did not leave Jesus. Finally, she heard him yell out, it is finished, and breathed his last. Many at this juncture point would have left the scene, but again, not Mary. She stayed there. Her Messiah was now limp on a cross with no life left in him. But again, Mary was going nowhere. She stood by and waited to see what they were going to do with the body. And before long, a couple of men came by. She didn't know them, but we know them as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And she watched them wrap up Jesus as they took him down from the cross, wrap him up in linen, and then start to take him away. But Mary also followed there because she wanted to see where they're going to lay Jesus Christ. And so she followed Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus until they came to the rich man's tomb. It was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. Nobody had ever been laid there before. It was carved out of rock. And as she stood there, she watched Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And what they did is they then unwrapped him from his linen and put 100 pounds of, of myrrh and aloe around the body, wrapped him up again, and then placed him inside the tomb. And Mary's watching the whole thing. Then they left the body of Jesus inside the tomb. And then they rolled this extremely large stone in front of the tomb. To help you understand what the stone would look like, it would be like uh, maybe the size of a large dump truck tire, but it would be made of stone what would happen is there would be an, an entrance to go into the tomb and then there would be this track and then a little bit of an incline and this very thick rock would be placed there that could roll like a tire and it would roll down until finally it would embed itself against the other part of the, of the, of the tomb and as it stood there it would block the entrance and the exit out of the tomb. So Mary watched this whole thing as, the, as Nicodemus and, and Joseph of Arimathea rolled, this tomb, uh, rolled the stone in front of the tomb. She wanted to know where Jesus was buried because she was coming back. Mary was coming back after the Sabbath day, and she was going to come to anoint the body. Three days later, Mary came back to the tomb. She woke up so early that morning that it was still dark when she arrived. The plan was this. I would get some other helpers to roll back the stone. So that she could then anoint Jesus' body with the spices that she had brought with her. But when she arrived, the stone was gone. It was rolled away. And the body of Jesus was also gone. And so immediately, Mary, she she left um, the tomb area and she went where the disciples were. Of course, she knew where they were because she had always known where they were. And she came in and she told them, somebody has stolen the body. That was her automatic assumption. Quote, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. This is the report she gave to the disciples. You see, along with everybody else, Mary couldn't make sense out of all the statements Jesus made about his death and resurrection. It seemed like nobody understood, and neither did Mary. And so her assumption was that some bandits had come and stolen the body of Jesus, which made her even more upset. Apparently, grave robbery was a common practice back then, especially for a wealthy tomb. This is what she assumed then had happened. Soon then, after she had told the disciples this, they all came back to the empty tomb. Overcome with emotion again, Mary begins to weep. This lasted long after the disciples left. She was there all alone. And as she was crying two angels then appeared inside the tomb and they asked her why are you crying? And she again explains that Jesus' body had been taken away and she doesn't know where it is. And turning from the tomb then she sees yet another person and this time she assumes it's the gardener. But it's not the gardener it's Jesus. But she thinks it's the gardener and maybe he has taken the body away. And if he took the body away she simply requested this could you point me in the right direction of where he've put him so I can go and retrieve the body And at this point the gardener responds by saying her name Mary This was no gardener this was Jesus And so Mary as she's wiping the tears from her face tears of mourning they got totally changed Now this was tears of joy because the Messiah, her Savior and friend, Jesus Christ, is alive. And it was crazy because in a flurry of excitement, she didn't really know what to do. And so she grabs a hold of Jesus' feet in worship and she wouldn't let him go. See, Mary thought she had lost Jesus, but now she has him back and she is never going to let him go again. And wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be the same? I mean, this is how I picture myself in glory. And if that's how you picture yourself, get in line. (laughs) Because I'll be there first, wrapping myself around Jesus Christ. And of course, this is the response of Mary. Her Savior, her Messiah is alive. And she gets to be with him again. You remember Paul, as he talks about what it's like to be with Jesus. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Quote, I have this desire to leave the earth in order to be with Jesus. Isn't that all of us? But Mary got to be with him right then and right there, and she's not letting him go. It's at this juncture point we understand the prominent place Mary had with Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't first appear to Peter. He didn't first appear to James or to John or to any of the disciples. He chose a different disciple. He chose Mary Magdalene. The first person to ever see Jesus alive. And not only did he now see, did she now see him alive, he actually had a message for her. I want you to be my messenger to go and tell the disciples. Not, don't worry about it, I'll go show myself to them as well. But I want you, Mary, can you go and tell the disciples that I'm alive. And tell them also to go into Galilee because I'm going to see them there. And without hesitation, she went back to tell the disciples to go into Galilee because they're going to see Jesus. Mary had already seen him. Mary had already worshipped him. And the disciples, you will soon too. But of course, they don't believe her. They don't believe her, but none of that mattered to Mary. It didn't matter because Jesus, her Lord and Savior, the Messiah, he he was alive. He was not dead and gone. And Mary was the first one to ever see him. Mary Magdalene, she was an incredible woman. And I look forward to one day seeing her in glory. You know, there's all these people that they are going to be lined up for me. There's Jeremiah and there's a number of different prophets I want to see. But I'd like to sit down with Mary as we're at the big feast with the Lord in glory. And I'd like to sit with her and say, Mary, I did my best job on Sunday morning one day to tell the people about the story, could you tell me firsthand what it was like? What it was like when you grew up and when the demons were exorcised and when you followed around with Jesus and you watched what he did and he became your Lord and Savior, could you walk me back through all that? But until I get to see her and until all of you get to see her and meet her, we've got much that we can learn from her life as to what it means to be a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. And so I just want to give you a few lessons from her life. First of all, um, Jesus can change the most unlikely people into becoming followers of his. I don't know about you, but in my life, I've often had people that I thought, well, that person's never going to become a follower of Jesus. I doubt that person or this person. And if you would have lived in Magdala, and you would have seen this woman demon-possessed, probably all ragged, and who knows what she would have looked like, and watched her being possessed, or however the demons overtook her every day. And you would have thought, wow, that person's lost. And so there's a, I think there's a lesson in here for us to not discount the kinds of people that may seem unlikely to become followers of Jesus. Certainly Mary would have fit this category. But she came not only a follower of Jesus, she became one of the most important followers of Jesus. Secondly, as a general model, in terms of how she exemplified being a follower of Jesus, I've got this lesson. Mary Magdalene is a godly model of humble service, of loyalty, generosity, and commitment to Jesus Christ. And those um, passages of Scripture that I have uh, behind lesson two, those are the main Scriptures that I'm getting all this information from in this story. I forgot to include one on there, and that's our main text, Luke 8, 1-3. But she was an incredible um, woman who modeled this humble service to Jesus. She didn't have to. She was independently wealthy. She chose to do this. And becoming a servant meant that she wasn't maybe all in the forefront. She was in the background. But this is what she chose to do. And she was loyal to him, even more loyal than the disciples were at the end. And in generosity, all of the wealth that she had, it was to provide for this missionary group. This missionary group of 12, you can imagine the kinds of needs they would have on a regular basis. And she was one of the prominent figures to supply their needs. <clears throat> and of course, her commitment to Jesus. Wow, those, those scenes that we get on those last days as Mary was just not going to be away from Jesus Christ. Even if he's dead and even if he's limp on that cross, I'm not leaving this guy. But of course, her commitment went far beyond that to how her life was changed. And then thirdly, the resurrected Jesus is the object of our worship now. And as we await his return, when we will be with him for all eternity. He's the object of our worship now. That's why we sing. That's why we praise the Lord. That's why we worshiped beforehand. This is what we do. Now, we don't get to to grab a hold of his feet like Mary did. But it says there in the text that she worshipped him as she saw the resurrected Jesus. And this is what we do as well. And so we worship him now. But we worship him as we await to see him face to face. And as Paul would, would say in Philippians 1.23, My desire is to be gone from you all. I'd rather be with Jesus Christ. But for now, I understand it's more important for me to remain with you. But I can't wait to be with Jesus. I can't wait to be with him. And so, yes, until we see Jesus face-to-face in glory, we will worship him now. We will continue to do this. But it's all in anticipation of the day we get to finally see him face-to-face. Mary was such a great uh, model for all of this. I don't know what you all think about Mary, um, but in my own study of her, uh, man, I appreciated her far more than I ever had before.